Dear listeners, welcome to the One in Four podcast. My name is Bea Spadaccini and I'm one of your co-hosts. Together we've made it to the end of season one, and we want to personally thank you for having stayed on this journey with us. We hope that you have been inspired by this first season and have learned as much as we have. Finally, thanks to Tim's technical skills, we've launched our website. You can find us at www.1in4podcast.com. I'll say this again, www.1in4podcast.com, all spelled out. We need your support for season two. Shameless plug. We need your support for season two. Check out our website and see the different ways that you can support this independent production and learn about the upcoming season two. So what you're about to hear in this episode is the wrap-up behind-the-scenes conversation that we had live on February 29th of this year at the PRX Podcast Garage in Washington, D.C. This is an unedited conversation that we had with a group of people, uh, it was about 50 people, and our entire team. This is an intimate conversation that was kindly facilitated by Christina Sturvidant-Sani. She's a writer, an editor, and a proud Washington, D.C. native who's been praised for her enterprising stories examining her hometown. Christina is a contributing writer to the Washington Post magazine, City Lab, Commercial Observer, and Diverse Education magazine. As the first full-time black staffer at DCist, Christina has written more than 1,600 news articles and feature stories over the course of two years. You can follow her on Twitter at C Sturdy. At C, like I see you, Sturdy, S-T-U-R-D-I. And I encourage you to follow her. She is an up-and-coming, amazing young reporter. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hey. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, well, first, I wanted to say that I know you all launched the podcast in February 2019, which means you just celebrated one year. So I think everyone should give them a round of applause. <laughs> so, um, for me, briefly, like growing up in D.C. as a black person in the 90s, I feel like there's a high chance that you know someone who was in prison or in jail. And for me, um, it was I had two cousins and also a sibling um, were incarcerated. And when they got out, I just like saw their journeys and like observed what they had to go through. And I know like it's a lot. So I just wanted to commend you on like taking up this topic as well. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I guess I want to start with asking you both, uh, why is incarceration and reentry important to you? And then Bea, how did it go from, oh, this is something I'm interested in to something that you wanted to dedicate to a podcast? Um, yes. Well, I have to, I look at my friend Tara Liebert back there, who's the executive director and the founder of Free Minds Book Club, because she really, truly has been my inspiration for doing this podcast. Um, she works with young men who are sentenced as adults in the District of Columbia, and they're sentenced, and, and when they are sentenced, they're sent to prisons all across the country. So uh, through Tara, I met a lot of these young men, and it just occurred to me that when they get out, it's really, really difficult. And in fact, you heard two sound bites. One of them was Khadija, and the other one was Joshua, and uh, unfortunately, Joshua is no longer with us, and he was a Free Minds member. So th the reentry process is really difficult, and sometimes it's so difficult that people don't make it. Mm -hmm. So I have worked my entire career in international development and uh, working in East Africa, where I lived for seven years, working on issues of uh, refugees and um, poverty, all, all kinds of you know, sexual gender-based violence, and then uh, in 2016, we had an election here, in case you don't know. But um, it just made me really feel strongly that I should use my skills to focus on issues, human rights issues here. And I think this is a really big issue here in this country. So that's how I got interested. Um, Bea introduced me to Tara. Uh, she 
needed a, a photographer to photograph an event. And of course I volunteered. I loved the work that she was doing. And while I was there, uh, the stories and the poems that were shared by some of the Free Mind guys uh, was really moving. And uh, it inspired me. And for the next, I guess, three years, I continued to photograph various events. But right around that time, uh, Bay and I were thinking of another project. And service is something that's always been uh, very uh, essential to um, nurturing our relationship. And we started talking about various podcasts, and the one in four just kind of clicked. And when we came up with the name uh, one in four, which means one in four of Amer adult Americans have a criminal record, um, it just kind of left a wide area to explore. And we've learned a lot on this journey. Um, I'm from El Reno, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I don't know how many of you know, is uh, the prison capital of the world. It has, um, in proportion to the population, the highest incarcerated uh, population for men and women. Um, it eked out past Louisiana. Uh, growing up in a town that's a prison town is, I didn't know any different. I mean, um, comparatively speaking, living here, um, the, the differences is really culture. You know, in the 80s and 90s, when the prison boom really started to take off, the um, a lot of these rural towns uh, seemed like prisons were an apparent solution um, to preventing their small communities from collapsing, you know, especially when the agriculture business was going down as well as manufacturing jobs were being lost uh, in that industry. So a lot of people in my neighborhood depended on jobs from the prison. Um, but my town is roughly 16,000 people now. It was a little bit less than that when I was growing up there. And within that 16,000 population, African Americans represent um, something like a little less than 7%. And to think about that in terms of uh, the core of El Reno, it's roughly 220 people or 200 people per square mile. And my little core domain was roughly uh, 10 square miles. So. Within that number, there's about you know, several hundred uh, African Americans. And when you think about the impact of the prison system on that population, I know everybody. I know every single one of them. So this issue and in the, in the young men's stories were very familiar to the stories that I had already heard growing up in small town rural America. So see someone like Tara and to meet all the people that have been part of this podcast and hear about their advocacy has been truly inspiring and the resilience of these young men and women has moved me beyond words so that's why it's important to me and I know that um, the target audience for the podcast isn't necessarily people who have been incarcerated can you um, tell us like what's the thought process behind that lead to you yeah, we, we have um, the podcast called One in Four. So the target audience is very ambitious, is the three out of four people who are not directly impacted by the justice system. So the idea is, I know it's broad, um, but it's not really to talk in an echo chamber with people who are already involved or who know, or who have a relative or who directly know what it means to come out of the prison system in the United States of America. But it's all of other people who are taxpayers and who, whose money might go to support private prisons, to support um, whose money might be invested unknowingly into mutual funds that support the Civic Corps or the Corrections Corporations of America. Or it's, it's you know people who go to the Free Minds event who care about justice issues um, they're not directly involved, but they, they, they don't know all the nuances of what's behind this mass incarceration system and the, the root causes. So it's really meant to humanize. By the way, humanize doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's rehumanized because the system is designed to dehumanize. So humanize, educate, and elevate conversations about the re-entry process of the men and women who have experienced incarceration. Um, so yeah, the audience, I must say that the, um, 
the word of mouth has been huge in terms of letting people know about the podcasts, even though we do a lot of social media as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it's people who listen and who feel like they've learned something. And especially Tim has been great at like asking them, well, share it, share it with a neighbor, share it with a teacher, share it with a friend, share it so that we it just the conversation spreads. We there's many very good podcasts on these on criminal justice and. Um, so, Tim. Yeah, we were um, at a house party, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. He was handing out these little booklets, but he would only give you this booklet if the conversation led him to believe that you were somebody who would really take heart to what, this, what was contained in this book. And it was called, I believe, The Tyranny of Choice. And um, I read this book, and it came right around the time or just before we had started the podcast. And... Uh, and I, and, I, and I actually put the recommendations in that book into action. Um, so walking around my neighborhood, I live in Virginia um, in a very uh, blue collar area. And the, the people there know me because I walk my dog around the neighborhood all the time. So whenever I had an opportunity to stop and talk with somebody, I would wait for an opening in the conversation to kind of segue into some of the work that we're doing, encourage them to listen to the podcast. And uh, out of the, the people in the neighborhood, um, there were a handful of people that came back to me and said, hey, I listened to the podcast and uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And that deepened the conversation that I had just within my neighborhood. And I think it's actually, um, I think it's actually impacted how they see uh, or, or how they envision their biases. I think that's they're starting to be become definitely more open. And one of the things that shocked me is uh, one of them is a, a guy that's well into his 70s, and he sends me emails periodically of articles. Oh, you might want to read this article. This would be a good subject to talk about on your podcast. And I'm like, I love that. Um, but yeah, I think it's the grassroots is, is something that's uh, still very effective. I'm not a big social media person. I know that these platforms really depend on that for marketing. Um, but I really want to get out and talk to people. Uh, I think face-to-face uh, -face and body language and everything is, is essentially important. And so um, I engage in that as much as possible. So in thinking about those nuances within the system and those like moments of enlightenment for listeners, what have you all been surprised by in your research for the podcast? Um, resilience. Uh, there's so much that's not discussed in the podcast. I mean, they're, they're limited. They're 30 minutes, 40 minutes at best. And the stories are oftentimes a bit more intense than, than how they come across through the podcast. And I've had the you know, opportunity to talk to a number of people who are willing to share their story, more intimate details of their story. And um, the fact that they're still here with us, still fighting the good fight. It's inspiring, very much so. For me, I feel like there's a lot of topics that we didn't get to cover, and I yeah. feel like you know, probation and reentry. Um, we, we, Tim and I went to. Well, there's a whole topic that has been. It's sexual violent predators and reentry sexual offenders and reentry. And I know this is a difficult topic, and I know it's a topic that is controversial, but I feel the label has, uh, we went to visit someone in a facility in Virginia that they um, detained people with this particular label. After they've done time, they can be held indefinitely. And to me, that's like, oh my goodness, you know, is this the right thing to do? So, um, there's a lot more that we wanted that I feel is just there's it's tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot more. But yes, I also want to say that the organizations that are on the front line, like Terra's Free Minds, like Coach Rojas with her American Job Center, Impact Justice, who's here today. I mean, they do fabulous work on advocacy, on helping people re-enter, on changing policies, and I feel strongly that there's a lot. The U.S. is known for mass incarceration. 
What's not known is the amazing work that some of these advocates do at the grassroots that can teach a lot to other nations. Mm. So maybe because I've worked globally and overseas in different countries, I feel inspired and by the innovative approaches that I've seen here that are an example to many other countries in many ways. So in thinking about all these ideas that you have for the podcast and everything that you want to get to, like how were you able to narrow down what actually ended up in the past year on the podcast? That's an easy question. <laughs> because in some ways, I kind of had to roll with the flow. Like, I didn't have the, we didn't have the privilege to have a whole team of uh, paid people that we could go and really sit in editorial meetings. We, we sort of did what we could based on people's availability and suggestions and whoever was open, which is why we didn't get to probation and reentry. So it was a little bit chance and a little bit friends like Tara and other people that we know that said, talk to this person, talk to this person or to that person. And really, the tr people are not going to just tell you their story, their personal intimate story of what happened during incarceration and what got them there you get to those people through the advocates that work with them and so they have to try they're not going to trust me right away but thanks to them we got to these stories and then entrepreneurship and reentry employment yeah so i just did say something because we're wrapping up <laughs> yeah um i just wanted to say that since we've been planning the wrap-up event uh, more and more people have been reaching out to us um, with people that we might want to consider interviewing, stories that we may want to cover. Um, and ever since we started this podcast, it was never our intention to speak for anybody. Everything is kind of, we're guided along this path. Um, and the one thing that we've always wanted uh, one and four to be was a platform for people to share their experiences. You know, this is clearly not uh, a monolithic group of people that we're talking about here. Everybody has their own personal story, and they're all, in many ways, very different. Um, it's, it's just there's not enough hours or time in the day or the year to cover as much as we would like to cover because we think it's, it's, it's important for people to know these stories. Um, it's the only way that we're going to be able to reshape policy um, and, and prevent some of the uh, uh, injustices that we see happening and the barriers to reentry um, from continuing. So thank you. So I think now we are going well, to let our senior advisors be talking with you. Well, I have one, la yeah. one last question because I thought it was really interesting. When you guys um, called me on the phone, like I didn't know until I met you in person that you guys were a couple, and I'm kind of like, fascinated with the dynamics of couples and my husband and I have worked together and it's had it's like ebbs and flows and ups and downs so I wanted to know for your relationship like how I was working together on the podcast like affected the dynamics <laughs> uh, should I go first <laughs> he's yeah, a perfectionist I'm not so I roll and he like pulls me back. And so I feel like this podcast has kept, has made our relationship stronger, has yeah, inspired yeah. us. Um, we have different styles, but we complement one another, I think pretty well. He's done all the graphics. He's done all the cards. I, I could never pull this off without him, but not just for that, because he's been my anchor. And he's, he said, you can do it. Just don't worry. Just keep doing, keep doing. So that's, I think it's its strength in us. You know, the first time uh, I saw Bea in her element, we were uh, volunteering at this hospice shelter, and um, or a hospice organization, not a shelter. And we had signed up to do video stories of people in the last two weeks to months of their life. And during that uh, process, we got the opportunity to meet this, this lovely uh, woman and hear her story. And Bea... Um, through the way that she interacted with this lady was able to get her to open up more and what she was able to get this lady to share um, was quite fascinating. Uh, this lady had a, an incredible uh, backstory before her life here in this country um, and she was originally from Honduras. So that was the beginning and we sat in the room and we edited the video and um, 
I realized that we worked so well together and doing service with someone that you care about is definitely an anchor. It helps get you through some of the rougher times or the, the challenging times and they're going to come, but, um, it hasn't weakened our relationship at all. It's done exactly as she said. It's yeah, we got engaged and we got engaged. <laughs> It's on the record. Oh my God, my dad will hear me. It's been recorded. Yeah, that's uh, that's beautiful. Um, So we're going to transition now to talk to Dave and Khadija. But Bea, first I wanted you to introduce them, like how they joined the team. Khadija and Dave, how did you join the team? Well, I met Khadija at Together We Bake, which is an organization in Virginia that does um, reentry work for women. And, uh, I mean, Khadija, I, out of all the women in that graduation class, Khadija really, like, inspired me. And I just, I was like, I want to meet this woman. She was there with her children. And uh, I just went up to her. I didn't stalk her on the Internet. But then and there, I kind of, like, uh, introduced myself. And, and I don't know, something, we, we stayed in touch. And then little, we, I interviewed her. And then I asked her, do you want to be part of this? Do you want to be one of our advisors? We need to be guided, you know, about how to go, what, what, what to cover, what kind of stories, and how to cover these important issues. And so that's how it started. This was over a year ago. I think it was August 2018, maybe? Yeah. And Dave, uh, I didn't stalk you, no. Maybe you stalked me. Yeah. So Dave was introduced to me by my dear friend Tara uh, from Free Minds, and I interviewed Dave. And um, he was very shy, which really surprises me because he's not shy at all now that I know him. And uh, we became friends, and I feel like both of them, to us, and and then Mike also, because you'll find out about Mike, he's our sound engineer, but they've become family. We have have grown together in this journey, and uh, I feel like we're very close, and uh, I'm very blessed to have known both of them. Likewise. Thank you both. (laughs) Want to come to this couch, cozy couch? Thank you. Thanks, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Hi, All right. everyone. All right. No, but I'd I like to finish with what Bea was saying. Like, mm-hmm. even, I, I think it was the time when I first met Bea, I uh, was over at Free Minds, and, uh, and Tara had introduced us. But the shyness, it wasn't really a shyness. It was just that where I was on that particular day. And everybody knows we have our ups and downs. We have to do our check-ins. And so, you know, like today I'm doing like, I'm like an 8.5, but on that particular day I was, you know, like cruising at like a four point something. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the best day of my life. And, uh, and then she had a microphone like shoved in my face. She has this microphone and I'm not even going to do the how, how, I'm not going to, it's a big microphone. Because it is intimidating, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay, and I can kind of follow up on how me and Bea met. Like she said, it was um, Together We Bake, a nonprofit in Alexandria that's for women who have an interest in um, food entrepreneurship and just life skills and social skills. Um, and it was like my first graduation uh, post-entry, and I was so excited that I actually like created a presentation, <laughs> a vision board. And so like during the graduation, I like got up and I presented it and it caught her attention. And um, I remember just you sharing like the vision of the podcast with me. It wasn't even born yet. It was just like a seed. Mm-hmm. And um, we even tested the name out. Yeah, we tested the name out. We came up with one in four and just seeing it grow since then and just everyone who has since brought their stories and their input, it's been phenomenal. And I'm really grateful, you know, that you all could be here to celebrate this with us because, yeah. like I said, it, you know, it's just been, it was your, it started out so small and I appreciate you inviting me to yeah. be a part of it. I do. Yeah, we're both honored. We're both honored. So you're both on um, episodes of the podcast. Khadija, you're on the women in reentry, and Dave, you're on the mental health and reentry. And if 
anyone hasn't like listened to those, I encourage you to go listen to them. Um, so why did you both feel compelled to share your stories and like how did it feel? What was the experience like for you? Um, um, well, like I mentioned, we met at a time where I was completing some programs. Um, and this one happened to be, um, I was actually doing this program parallel to another entrepreneurship program. But this specific program was all women. Um, and it was like all women who had faced some type of barrier to employment. And so I really found like sisterhood and healing in that that wasn't necessarily in just like the entrepreneurship programs. And um, so that brought forth the episode that I'm on about like family and relationships. And in that episode, I speak a lot on being a mother and what it was like to come home from prison um, and not only rebuild a relationship with my daughter, but to basically learn about my youngest child whom I was pregnant with um, during some of the pretrials and during some of my incarceration. Um, and it was something that I couldn't necessarily find support on that was like directly aimed for my situation. And so um, through like a part of that healing, I know I just wanted to tell that story because I know that, you know, me navigating it and learning it in real time, I wanted to be able to share what that was like for me so it could help someone else. Was it like cathartic? Like how did it feel once you got it out and once you listened to the episode? So, you know, I've listened to it recently and I'm like, wow. Like it's still, it's still, it doesn't like really resonate where I'm at like right now because during this journey, like I've been at different parts. There's highs, lows, underground, above ground. <laughs> so it's like listening to that, I'm like, wow, that's something I would tell myself. So I think I did a good job. Dave, what was it like for you? Um, it, meaning working on the episode, working on, on that particular episode, all one and four at, in, in the whole. Sharing your personal story on the oh, episode. Sh you know, sharing my personal story, um, I just felt like maybe it was necessary. It's not always easy, but necessary when you want to reach more than the person who's sitting in front of you. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm a social-emotional support kind of guy. I, I, I teach, um, you know... I have programs in social, um, emotional support, mental health, and, I, and I, I'm a firm believer that I don't think that uh, it's not if you have a mental health issue, it's which one, <laughs> and uh, and to be able to bring that, you know, to bring that outside of a classroom or outside of an of of uh, of, of a workshop and to and to and to have it, um, you know, ingrained in time somewhere that keeps echoing. It was important to me. So that's why um, I was I was really um, gun ho to to work on a project like this and 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 shout out to like the production team and everyone who's involved with this. Um, well, some people know it or not, but I, I come from a broadcast family, so you know I was born in this in, in the broadcast business, and the one thing that it that has always given me is an eye for when you when you know what good work is. Mm -hmm. And the second that I seen what Bear's, I seen Bear's vision and, and, and I seen the way it was being worked on, I, I knew that this was good work and it was right along the lines that I, I had to be a part of it. So that's why I said Bear didn't stalk me. <laughs> it was pretty, it was almost the other way, like, dude, I'm 100% in, whatever you want, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. So it was, it was really almost the, the, the exact opposite, you know, so I, I was, I'm in. <laughs> So in you, you all's roles as senior advisors, you've actually like been through the experience and Bea and Tim have not. So like, how does that inform the podcast? Have there ever been times where, you know, they wanted to do something and then based on your experience, you're like, no, we should look at it a different way or anything like that? No, sure. I, so I like we have we have reporter compatibility too. We're like the outlier wild card <laughs> dynamic. We have to get like briefed beforehand, like to stay on topic. I said it. But um so I think the only thing about us is that like we're like advocates for the truth. Mm -hmm. So we we wanna give, you know, our listeners the eyes of like what we've seen on the outside like i i would think and it's a positive contribution if anything i would just say like we 
sometimes like have that like all in like this is what it was like and you know like this is what it was and people need to know you know like that type of thing um and it, it works out our, pretty through well our, through our stories yeah i mean because we've we've developed this family atmosphere that you know we sit around it's you know when when the podcast is not going on we're sitting around a round table and we're just telling stories we're talking about you know uh, uh we're getting in depth within our lives and we're, we're telling um our past lives that we that we've lived and and so and bea tim mike come and say they'll ask the question and we'll just give them you know our honest opinion i don't think that I don't think any time is, is, is bad ever veered too far off a path where we had to where we had to say, almost reel it back in and say that, that's not really realistic. She seems like she she's always had her finger on the pulse with the direction of the podcast, and she's always asked our advice. But a lot of times, uh, you know, all we do is kind of just kind of keep it in the parameters because the work is already done. She, her vision is clear, and um, and you know, once again, just proud to be a part of that vision. So one of the upcoming episodes is about food insecurity and reentry. So how did and you all worked on it together? So why that topic and what was your experience like working on that one? You want me to? So I have a big interest in health and nutrition. Um, post should I say like post conviction? Okay, well post prison. Um, I started to take back my health, um, including my diet, and I'm a firm believer that diet is one of the biggest aspects to just overall well-being. Um, since living in D.C., I noticed a really big injustice, and it's called food deserts. I happen to live in a food desert. Um, it affects your well-being and well-being of children. It affects women. It affects more people than what we know, and it's a really clear yet non-respectable injustice that I feel like there's many solutions uh, to. And some of those solutions are like different organizations that are here in DC, different small businesses. Um, shout out to Chef Reese, okay? Entrepreneur doing his thing. Um, there's there's people that are aiding to it, but um, so it's just like not people may not even know about it, may not have awareness to it. And like I said, it was something that I'm personally connected to. I started a business around it, Cloud Nine Eats, with the mission to heal the mind, body, and spirit through food, um, specifically in food deserts. And so um, we did this episode um, after realizing that there was a connection between hunger and mass incarceration. And through this episode, we explored it uh, a little bit more from a world international organization down to like a, a few food incubator like here uh, in DC, Southeast specifically. And so just to like look at it on that type of spectrum, it's, it's, it's gonna be like a really interesting episode. No, I mean, when you talk about um, you know, the food that, that is, that's available across the river, you gotta realize that that's like part of the, um, you know, when you talk about even systemic racism and everything like that, and, and then uh, when you look across the river, um, the food that is allowed to us, it's just not proper. There's, we're suffering, and you see it. I mean, look in our communities. We're dying from everything. And that all has to do with what we're putting into our bodies, and um, I believe that you know it starts it starts and really ends there in a lot of ways. When you talk about when you think about um, um, you know the um, the disparities that uh, that that uh, that I don't, I don't know how to finish that, but I think you know where I'm going. Food injustice. I believe there's like one grocery store um, in like Ward seven and then like literally right over the bridge in ward six there'll be like seven different grocery stores so it's a clear injustice you know and it deserves to have attention brought to it yeah i think east of the river there are three grocery stores for seven hundred thousand people who lives in ward seven and eight mm -hmm. and i grew up in ward seven so 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really good episode. Looking forward to listening to that one. Last question. I know Bea talked earlier about, like, what podcast episodes she would do in the future. Do you guys have any, like, burning things you want to, like, get out and research? Oh, my God. <laughs> Homelessness and mass incarceration. Homelessness and reentry. Um, we did do a housing episode, but I now want to explore how, like, just the dynamic of homelessness um, for reentry, plus homelessness and how it can lead to like a cycle of incarceration because homelessness is so prevalent here in the district and it's like not okay, um, and it's directly related to incarceration. It's directly related to over policing. It's directly related to all of those things. You know, I think I'm caught off a of guard with that one. I'm, I'm, let me give, give, get back to me. How about that? <laughs> okay, you can think about while you think about it. We're gonna bring up Mike. We've heard Mike's name mentioned several times, so it's your turn for the hot seat. All right, all right. <laughs> oh yeah. Also, cause my friend, my friend just walked in. Michael, you wanna put your hand up? Hey, Michael. Michael is the <laughs> founder of an organization, a beautiful grassroots organization that I recently had an honor to volunteer with. Who does like on the ground? the most vulnerable population, homeless population work for him. So thank you for being here, showing your support for me. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Oh, yes, Bea and Mike. Hello, everybody. <laughs> your title is the audio engineer, producer, yes. super uh, producer? audio engineer, post-production. I don't do much of the main recording, but I'm in the behind the scenes and the and music behind part. the scenes, everything technical, which I don't even know how to put the microphone cord and which it is. So he you does all lot, of though. that. Yes, yeah, so I wanted um, to talk to you guys about the the production aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but first, how did you meet? So Mike is my next door neighbor. <laughs> It's very, it's very convenient. Uh, and you yeah. stop them, basically. She's knocking on my door my specialty. constantly. No, I, actually, I met him. We have a really nice, lovely restaurant in our neighborhood. It's called The Daily Dish in Silver Spring. And he, I met him there once. He was looking to buy a place in our neighborhood. and I, I was there waiting for my real estate agent. Yeah, and he started talking to me about the neighborhood. And I said, this is a great neighborhood. And, he, and I said, where do you want to buy? And he said, in that building over there. I said, oh, that's where I live. It's a lovely building. There's lovely people in here. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a year later, we were outside. And I ran into him. And we talked. And I said, oh, Tim and I are thinking about launching this podcast. And he's like, well, I'm a sound engineer. I said, really? You're a sound engineer? I could use a sound engineer. Yeah, up to now, she didn't know this about me. Because no. it's something I just do on the side, really. It's not my main job. We, we, yeah. we, yes, I, I so, yeah. tried really hard with Hindenburg Pro to oh, yeah, edit yeah. and cut, and it took me like forever. And then I was like, I could really use a sound engineer. And yeah, and I was like, I'd love to help. It's yeah. so convenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, not to mention, so yeah, like she said, we met at that restaurant while I was looking for a place, and it was crazy because I remember I was there just waiting for my real estate agent, and I met Bea, and there was a bunch of other regulars at that bar, and they're all, everybody was just like, you gotta move in here, this is the best neighborhood, you're, you're gonna love it here, and like, they're right, it was like, wow, <laughs> it's unbelievable, I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> Can I add one thing? Sure. That this, yeah. There's also Suledi, who is uh, Mike's fiance, who just joined us here from, Ar from Argentina, <laughs> but she's from Venezuela, and I just mentioned this because now I have two neighbors, not just Mike, <laughs> And so um, she has been part of this journey because I've seen him go through getting her here, uh, despite the policies that have been going on lately uh, in terms of immigration. But she made it, and that's great. So, so um, thinking about the production uh, process and like behind the scenes, there's the episode that Khadija is on, the women in reentry. I noticed how, and as a reporter, like I picked all of this up, how you, uh, you like interviewed her and then you went to a graduation. You went to like several events and put a, like a lot of work into that one episode. Can you talk about um, like the process on your end putting together one episode from just like researching and going to different places and all of that? 
Yeah, well, I didn't realize that's one big takeaway how long it would take to produce a quality podcast because, yes, we're here at PRX Podcast Garage and this is a narrative style podcast, so it does take a lot of time and ideally I wish every single episode we could go out and get the sound and really be out, not just in a room recording. That's the best because it adds texture, the, the, the sound, the to the story and it makes the storytelling much more interesting but it is incredibly time consuming so I've taken basically a year off and worked part time in order to be able to do this and uh, yeah I mean ideally our, this, this is more than a podcast we want ideally this is a, a platform that would enable us to train our uh, returning citizens to be sound engineers to be some of them already have background in um, in broadcast journalism, but not everyone does. And ideally, we would have more people trained to go out, get the stories. I don't want to be the one doing it, even though I love, but my background is print journalism. But and, and I don't, like you said, Christina, I did not have that firsthand experience of incarceration. I can editorially think of what are the themes as a journalist that are interesting to cover, but it would be great if Khadija and Dave were empowered to go out and do this all the time, you know, and, and co-host. And so we, we would like to get there production-wise. And we've talked about before about having some sort of program where, you know, I can help teach and train people how to, if they're interested in doing yeah. audio, sound, you know, production and stuff like that. I would love to be a part yeah. of, you know, holding some classes. Some, yeah, yeah, you know, we do. We, we, have, we have a budget. We have a budget. We know the cost. Anybody wants to contribute, we're here. <laughs> you know where to find us. <laughs> so, Mike, can you talk about how music plays a role in the podcast episodes? Uh, music is really important. Um, up before this, my audio background didn't really involve too much podcast. Oh, sorry. Um, it was more audio to video. So, when you have video, uh, that helps a lot with telling a story and it doesn't require as much uh, music to really set a scene because you're looking at something. So with the podcast, it was a little challenging at first, um, but you know, the music really helps set the mood. It affects the flow of the, the episode. Um, you have to make sure it engages the audience. You want to keep their attention, um, continuity, all that stuff. So yeah, it really plays a, a huge role. Can you think of an episode that you worked on where the music just worked really well? <sighs> That's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> or is it all of them? <laughs> I think it was maybe number seven. I mean, they all kind of blend together now, but I think it was number seven. Yeah, and, and it's somewhere in the track, um, we were building up to when Bayo started to narrate and the beat dropped, and it felt almost like it wasn't a podcast anymore, mm. like it was a song. That's the one. Oh yes, I remember we talked about that. There was a quote in the interview there. Exactly. I can't, I off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly what you said, but this quote he made that led right into this song starting was just perfect. Right. It, it it just it hit so hard. It was it like I listened to it so many times over and over again. I was like, this is perfect. They're gonna love it. <laughs> I want, I, I, in terms of production, I want to say that the most downloaded episode has been Mental Health, which is the one Dave was in, um, and Joshua, unfortunately, that is no longer with us for Free Mind guys and who passed. But um, so clearly, that's a topic production-wise that would deserve to have a lot more coverage. It's mental health is a big issue, and it's related to homelessness. Um, it's related to addiction. Um, yeah, so, and I mean, ha since I've been doing, we've been doing the podcast, I have been listening to a lot more podcasts, and I know that, like, the Daily from, uh, um, Bar the New York Times, oh, but yeah. what's the name of the host is, uh, now it's Michael, Michael, Michael Barbaro, Barbaro. yes, Barbara. of course, I mean, whatever, but the, the music there, I find phenomenal, the way they use the yeah, music. Yeah, they, they have and a great the, production the, the, team. The, 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 they allow the music not just to transition, but to, to kind of really, you're in it for uh, 10, 15 <laughs> seconds, and then it just 
shifts and i love that and i'm always pushing i'm like mike can you just, just make like it more like the daily come on i'm like more like the daily do it like the daily and he's like well the daily has 15 producers i'm like just do it like the daily you know, i'm trying i'll get there <laughs> so in thinking about like changes and upgrades like what would what else is there anything else you guys would do different for next season a lot you a, a studio studio space would be great um right now we're just using you know our homes and make, makeshift closets. studios booths closets foam pads just built in, making like a, a fort of foam pads and mm -hmm. throwing a mic in there but i mean it's working it but you know it'd be so much nicer just to have like a really nice studio space. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, ideally, I would like Khadija and Dave to the, have their own production equipment, mm -hmm. you know, to just always have that with them. We only have one that we share among ourselves, the field recorder. Um, we want, I want more training, um, interviewing training, uh, and audio storytelling training much more especially for members of our team um so i would like to we're we're exploring some partnerships with radio stations with prx podcast garage when they have the recording studio with the line hotel because we need to be in a studio mm -hmm. um, when we put it together and more editors mike has a full-time job i mean he's been doing this on weekends and evenings uh, and from Venezuela, no, not Argentina. from Argentina. Yeah. From Argentina, <laughs> he has been doing it. And you know, thanks to Dropbox, big shout out. They should be one of our sponsors because we use them so much. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we can open it up to the audience now. If anybody has questions for Tim, Dave, Khadija, Bea, or Mike. Anyone? Good evening, everyone. <laughs> Chef Reese. I know that voice. From, <laughs> I recognize Radio that voice, voice. anyway. <laughs> First, I want to thank uh, Bea and Tim because I uh, I was in one of the podcasts, and they gave me a chance to uh, tell my story. You know, because I'm a returned citizen and I'm an entrepreneur, and um, these guys do wonderful, 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 amazing work. You know, and um, first of all, kudos. <laughs> Thank you, Chef. And I want to share that uh, need some backing. They really do. They need support. They need for us to uh, gather around them. You know, it takes a village. That's what we do. You know, they need us to gather around them and support them in any manner that's possible. If you can do just spend some time with them all financially it is important that we do share because the stories that they are um, embarking on are much needed and the audience need to be broadened and it can only be broadened if they have the support so i thank you guys for having the courage the courage to let us tell our story i thank you thank you chef thank you I would like to ask each of the uh, members who are involved in this podcast, just kind of summarize what you think this could grow into, this venture could grow into, and summarize also uh, how you see the overall impact having in the, in the community, in the country, in the world. How far do you think this would go? I think it could go very far, honestly. Um, going into this, I knew nothing of the subject, and I've learned so much just from this one season. I mean, even from the first episode, I learned a lot. And it really captured me and made me want to learn more. Um, yeah, it's inspiring. It's, it's educational. It's, it's everything. I mean, I think it could go really far. Hope it could. Uh, for me, um, I'm very aware of the other podcasts in the criminal justice space. Um, I believe, I want to believe in radical collaboration and not competition. There's space for everybody. Um, there's, pod, there's an amazing, I, we try to, I've tried to give shout out to any other podcast that fits our episode. There is one called Life on the Outside, which is with people that are uh, incarcerated for life and then get paroled after 30, 40 years, and it's from California. Fantastic. There is The Year Hustle. 
some of you might know of the ear hustle. I'm, yeah, my ego competes with it, but my more compassionate <laughs> side is like radical collaboration with the ear hustle. That's like, a, I've been stalking them, I have to admit. But um, I love the way they work. They've done five seasons. There is, um, there's a lot of them. So I would like one in four to establish more radical collaboration. I don't want to put out content for the sake of putting out content. I want to add value to the conversation on criminal justice reform. It has to be strategic. So I want to cover issues that haven't been covered. I want to add value. I don't want to do it just to have a podcast out. That, so I see it. Glo I see globally that there is a there is, there's a need to connect the dots from here to other countries on best practices. Um, that's where I see it. Wow. Um, for me, Chef Reese kind of just like gave me confirmation on what it means to me, and that's being able to have a platform to tell your story on, um, along with it adding valuable information to an uh, ongoing conversation. Um, you know, storytelling is powerful. It's the reason why we have humanized up there as a part of our mission because being able to use your voice to tell your story um, with you as the narrator um, is it's really powerful. And, you know, just being able to always practice your freedom of speech, there's just so much power in storytelling. Um, I just truly believe that. I believe it's a way for us to find similarities within ourselves and make the positive changes we need to. Like to, I'd like to continue on with the humanize because I, I really believe that that's our job here. At least it's just a, for folks who don't know what a returning, who've never dealt with returning citizens, just to understand that we're human and to understand that we're people just like you. And once they start to, you know, once we break the fabric of that down, then that's where the change really happens. It's when, you, when, when all of a sudden you look into somebody's eyes and they're relatable. You understand where they're coming from. You understand their pain. You understand the struggle. That's when everything changes. Legislation changes. Laws changes. And, and, and the walls of, uh, of indifference start to come down. That's what, that's what I think we're doing here. I just want to echo what Bea said about um, radical collaboration, because this is not something that can be done in a vacuum by any means, and there's so many stories out there. But I wanted to share that, and Bea, please, because the details of this, I, I know I'm going to mess up. Um, we had collaborated with a couple of organizations through Twitter, and had um, we were, this was during the time that we were thinking about the um, visiting in prison. Um, and there were people legislating without that had never ever been to a prison before. Some foundation, thank you. Fan foundation. And um, what we were asking was don't legislate without ever having visited a prison. Go in, sit in the waiting rooms with the families, hear what their where frustrations are. And I don't remember the numbers, but I think there was something like maybe a hundred people, maybe a little more, that participated in this in this Twitter um, chat. Ex Twitter chat. But amazingly, there were how many legislators that sent videos, um, recordings of themselves saying, I pledge to visit a prison and go to the waiting room. And I thought, and that was just with about 100 people. I mean, imagine if that number was much larger than that, the number of people that we could reach, the impact that we could make. Um, having a legislator go there and listen to a family member or friend or um, just a, a church supporter uh, would make a huge difference, I think, in the way that they uh, um, intuit the law for anything. Any other questions? Thank you all very much. Um, it's such a pleasure to see and to listen to you. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you see as the unique challenges to reentry in Washington, D.C.? So what, is, what makes D.C. different from other places, or perhaps not? I want to let Khadija and Dave. 
I'll go on that one first, if you don't mind, Khadija. Um, Speaking for Washington, D.C., because, you know, I've traveled pretty much uh, far and wide around the country. I think Washington, D.C. has some of the best programs to date in any other area in the country. Uh, There are more resources here for returning citizens than I've ever seen any place else. I mean, period. But even with that said, um, um, Oh, of course, housing. Housing is always is, is a problem here, unlike, no, not unlike anywhere, but it's, I think housing is a, is a bigger problem or just as you know comparable to what San Francisco is, is going through now. It's just, I think it's just a, rolled out on a bigger scale there. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, think it, like, I would have to agree. I mean, like just, from some of the people we even have in the room, from Free Minds and just from even me starting a new position at a nonprofit, CCE, I would think that DC is an abundance of opportunity. I think maybe just like Maryland and Virginia should kind of like take some more of what's happening in here and kind of like offer more constructive programs because I know um, coming from a Maryland facility, there wasn't like almost anything besides just like completing probation and independently looking for a job that they offered for returning citizens. Whereas no, in DC, um, I can, you know, testify that there's outstanding programs. Um, only The only thing that can happen less is that they just keep improving and getting better based off feedback and hearing the needs of the people and, um, Hopefully they it won't be such a need for it because there will be less incarceration yeah. in general. I think that's what everyone wants. But until then, you know, just ensuring low recidivism rates and that you know. Can, can I can I add also sure. like the and the programs we have, but what happens after the programs? And that's what we need. That's where this kind of stuff is for. Because the program is only going to take you so far. And then after the programs are over, we still get dumped on the sidewalk. And then we walk into communities with all of this wealth. And they turn out their backs on us. So how far can we truly go? You know, And that's the importance of humanizing the folks who are coming home. Because they're some of the most brilliant people on the face of this earth are locked in prison right this second. And you don't even give them a chance. You don't give them a voice. We're privileged to be standing up here with a microphone in my hand. You know, think about for, for every one of me, there's about two million who never get a chance to, to speak their truth. So, something to think about. Just real quick is, um, there are huge, I'm sorry? There are huge cultural differences too. I mean, I live in the Midwest and that's a very, the area in Oklahoma where I lived, it was very agrarian. So you think about it, the Federal Corrections uh, Center in El Reno, Oklahoma manages one of the biggest farms and there's only two managed by the Federal Corrections Bureau. So the lifestyle of people coming out of these programs and then re-entering society is very different than it is in a city. And some of those challenges, given that manufacturing is gone, a lot of the agrarian jobs are not there available, it makes it quite difficult for people to re-enter society. So I would really like to hear or dive a little bit deeper into the types of challenges experienced by returnees in these different um, areas of the country. Uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you for bringing this to us. It's amazing. And, um, and thank you to you friendship, for a sponsor, for well. being one of the sponsors that believed, uh, Circle Yoga is believed in. Not me personally. <laughs> um, but I want to just say for me, um, two really important things is the education that you're bringing to us that. I would have not had before. So if, you know, talking about the question of where you want this to go, 
just that alone is amazing. And then hope. There's so much hope behind everything you are all saying. And I feel like um, that hope, just that hope alone is enough to, to make a difference. You have educated, you have educate and you have humanize. And I feel like educate, hope, humanize. And I just, I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I, I would like to encourage and support and do whatever I can and spread, spread the word to others to continue. Leave us a review on Apple, thank you. <laughs> I mean, thank really, it, it's a bit boring, but I know it does matter. How about thank you, Kemi? Do you guys take donations? You have like a donation page or like a uh, cash we app? Ha we have like set up a, a Patreon. We have set up Patreon and we are setting up a website. I promise to you that by middle of March at the most is up, but we, we do have it. It's not yeah. going to take too long. No, it won't take long at all. We've so. Any other questions? The, I, I would like to say thank you for, for having this event uh, to allow us to come uh, share with you and celebrate this first season being done. Uh, I can hear the measure of satisfaction and fulfillment in the participation. But if you would, just what are, what are three, because I want that. You know, what are, what are three things that those of us who uh, haven't had an opportunity to be a part of the podcast and haven't, um, perhaps are not returning citizens in one shape, form, or fashion, what are like three things that we could do um, to increase awareness and, and be part of the team? Um, thank you, Raymond. Um. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, that's definitely one of them. Follow us, whoever. I know some of you use social media, others don't. I'm not looking at you. Um, but if you do, please follow us. It takes time to grow the social media part. It's a lot of work. And leave us a review. It really does matter, believe you me, it does matter in terms of for us to get sponsors, they look at numbers. They look at downloads, they look at number of followers, they look at reviews. So. You have to go on Apple Podcasts and you have to go under ratings and review and just say if you learned something that if, if, if you feel there's some value, write it. It makes a difference. That's number two. Number three is, well, donate when we have the page up. We can, if you have a business or if you have something you want to publicize or you have a book, we can put in pre-roll, mid-roll or end-roll. This episode is brought to you with the support of Circle Yoga or XYZ Business. We can give that promotion. We can put it in the episode notes. If you have a book, we can do affiliate marketing on Amazon and drive traffic and we get a little percentage. So there's a lot of things we're still learning. Of course, we would love a grant from, you know, I have a lot of ideas, but <laughs> a big grant. Uh, not a big grant, but somewhat. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, if you're very wealthy, you can cut a check for fifty thousand dollars. That would help. Yeah, that would help. But I have just three dreaming. Uh, I just wanted to add, um, it's one in four. So simply talking to the person next to you mm -hmm. is going to, um, yeah, it's going to be inclusive. And then just to share that there's a podcast that D is attempting to destigmatize uh, what it means to be returning. Um, I think is very important. And if you have a relationship with that person, that's even better. That means that they're going to be more serious about going and listening to something that you suggest. So I know the social media, I, I, I work in the um, IT field, so uh, whenever I'm not working, I am not engaged in social media. So I do go back to just engaging with people directly. And um, yeah. and I've, I've managed to... Uh, um, boost numbers simply by going out and talking to people and them sharing the same. So I encourage to do that. So I think we have to wrap up. Yeah, we got to wrap up. So I'll go with Ditto uh, and with, with what everyone has already said because I think it was all covered. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, what? Thank you. Thank you, PRX. Oh, no, I just wanted to... Um, well, two things, sorry. I just wanted to self-correct. Earlier when we were talking about the food um, insecurity, 
I said there were three grocery stores for 700000 but it's really 150000 which is still, like, a whole lot of people. Um, so that's one thing. And I actually want to end on um, Dave has uh, – I know you have a nonprofit that you're working on, and I really love the mission of it, and I just want you to um, talk about it a little bit before we go. I tried, I tried to keep it on one and four. <laughs> um, yeah, that's absolutely. Um, Article 730, um, first things first is, is I work, it's a mental health organization that we work hand in hand with uh, men and women coming home, um, currently incarcerated, coming home, and we get in there. And I like to say, I always say teach, but it's not about teaching, it's just about getting them to to, to relearn what they already have inside of uh, and getting back into the healing process. With that being said, I've come up with workshops and curriculums just to fit men and women who uh, were formerly incarcer incarcerated, but I realized that where did the problem begin? And if you talk to anyone who's been incarcerated, who's come home, their problem started around when they said, you know, there was that turnaround point, that's middle school. So I really put all of my effort into working with the youth, uh, getting them before they, they're unreachable and developing programs towards, uh, toward, towards really helping them learning uh, how to heal. It's all about the healing process. So I do appreciate you and thanks a lot. And that's Article 730. <laughs> Thank you. Shameless plug. I have one more thing to add. I don't know if you all are aware, but February 29th only happens one in every four years. So shout out to our genius senior producer for really putting this together. And I just think that that shows like how much detail and compassion and just energy you really put into this. And to follow up with your question, sir, we all have a personal responsibility in who we show up as to the world as. And so with that, taking this information and practicing it and applying it in what you know and showing compassion to your neighbor is the greatest duty that we could ever do. So thank you all.